The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 101. Captain DeBridge, Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, books, and more. And today we're discussing the Deep Space Nine episode, Q-less. Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. So I thought the people who were clueless were the writers of this episode. Um, I wish this episode yeah. was Q-less. It did not have Q in it. But apparently they thought Q would boost the ratings. And so, okay, maybe. But for everybody but me, when I see Q in an episode, I cringe. I mean, there are a few good ones. But on average, yeah. if all I know is this has Q in it, I don't want, I'm less inclined to watch it. It, it is interesting that uh, Q only shows up in this episode of DS9. Then he jumps yes, over yeah. to Voyager for the rest of it. Well, it's a little too, I mean, we could talk about that a bit. Uh, at this point, John DeLancey had been playing Q for five years in Star Trek, in Next Gen. Yes, yes. Well, the DS9 cast, except for Colin Meany, uh, had been at it for five episodes. Like, they, they're brand new. <laughs> so there's this strange dynamic on the set between the guest star who is very comfortable in his character versus the regular cast who are very brand new to their characters. And mm -hmm. so at times we are told by the behind the scenes material that Delancey treated Avery Brooks and the others, like the new kids on the block and it's sort of like, this is how Star Trek is done sort of thing, mm -hmm. uh, which created some tension at times, uh, I, I guess, uh, you know, because Avery Brooks is the lead. Wait, Avery Brooks was in tension with somebody. I, I find that hard to believe. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, yes. So, as you mentioned, this is uh, this is the this is the fifth episode of the series, and they decided to they they're still at that phase where uh, we have a new Star Trek series, and we have to kind of give it its its push, its boost by bringing stuff over from the old one. You know that that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So that that's probably where this comes from. And originally, this was going to be actually literally a Q-less episode. This was just going to be Vosh. And having mm. her interact with them, having been left behind by Q in the Delta Quadrant, sorry, Gamma oh. Quadrant, I, I'm going to make that mistake more than once. Then the title <laughs> would have made sense. I should have updated the <laughs> <Yeah>. title. <laughs> right, right. Because who who is supposed to be clueless in this episode? Well, I think the the idea is she wants to leave Q behind. She wants to be mm. Q-less. Mm. But yeah, it didn't really make sense. They, they could name it Q-full, because then you could say it's awful. <laughs> yeah, right. So let's let's get into the episode. So it starts with Bashir, uh once again, the the young man on the make, trying oh. to impress a young Bajoran woman by telling this story of his final exam, this famous story actually, the whole pre-ganglionic fiber, post-ganglionic nerve thing that comes up several times in the series. Uh yeah. for his and, final exam. And, and 
<laughs> so Julian Brashear's character was not meant to be as unpopular as 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 he was in the beginning, and they didn't yeah. turn it around until they made him a secret agent in the Hollow Chamber, and then they where he really got popular is when they made him when they made him genetically engineered. But right. early on, right. he was like a failure as a character, and the viewers did not like him. And it's like hitting on women awkwardly and arrogantly makes us want to hate Bashir. What? <laughs> why did not the first season writers understand that? Right. Well, at one point, they decide to just pretty much shove him to the side in this episode and make him sleep through everything, which is yeah. kind of yeah. indi- indicative. I-, I do like, though, that O'Brien is in the background of this scene laughing at Bashir and rolling his eyes at him oh, the his, whole time. <laughs> his, his facial expressions throughout this entire scene are make the scene. Yeah, they do. Because Bashir's t- telling this story like it's this big dramatic event, and it was choosing an answer. <laughs> right. And, and O'Brien's about choking on his coffee or whatever he's drinking in the process. Right, right. Uh, so they're interrupted by a call to come to uh, one of the runabouts uh, because it's been sucked dry of power they can't get it open and dax and somebody are inside and they're dying dax and in and ensign who we will never see again yes yep. and ensign nobody and uh and they're trying to figure out how to get it open and all this other stuff and i'm thinking uh plot hole you have these things called transporters transporters <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like beam them out then figure out how to open it up later <laughs> like duh anyway uh but they open it up and they find out it's not just Dax and Ensign Nobody. It's uh, Dax and Ensign Nobody. Ensign Polly. And yes, thank you. And uh, it turns out it's Vosh, and O'Brien recognizes her from the Enterprise. And uh, who is Vosh? Uh, of course, w- if you go back and look, they're never actually in a scene together. They, yeah. He, but but we could just assume that O'Brien was there. He saw, met her in the corridor. The stories were told, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he so yep. he, just just like we can assume that. Chekhov was really on the Enterprise in season one and did meet Khan. Right, yep. right. <laughs> so uh, she says that she was in the Gamma Quadrant for two years, and uh, she had departed from the Enterprise with Q to travel the galaxy together. And of course, as they're as they're leaving that quarter, it turns out that the technician working there is turns around and it's Q. So yeah, yep. we should probably mention who Vash is for people who may not remember because she's only in two episodes of Next right. Gen. She first shows up in an episode called Captain's Holiday, where he's on Risa, and he gets involved in a search for a MacGuffin from the 26th century called the Tox Utat. And Vash is like an unscrupulous archaeologist lady who is also after it. And so he meets her there, and they have a romance. And then later, she shows up on an, on another episode of Next Gen, which is where O'Brien theoretically knows her from, uh, where she came on board the Enterprise and Q also showed up. This episode was called Cupid, and it's the one where they are in a fantasy created by Q where they're all Robin Hood and the Merry Men. So Vosh plays Maid Marian, Picard plays Robin Hood, and Worf gets to deliver the line, I am not a merry man. (laughs) And, And and then at the end of that episode, Vosh goes off to explore the galaxy with Q. Yes. And so now, this is the first we've seen of her since then. He dumped her, or she dumped him, she says, in the Gamma Quadrant two years ago, and got found by uh, Dax and Ensign We Will Never See Again. 
and brought back to the Alpha Quadrant. So I like this scene because, again, Bashir is examining her in the sick bay and uh, unethically starts flirting with her. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, but she does, like, he says, oh, you cut off from civilization. And she, she puts him in his place, like, um, Gamma yeah. Quadrant, lots of civilizations, many older than, than human <laughs> civilizations. So yeah. it wasn't that bad. Uh, Cisco is suspicious, of course. Uh, very, this is a very, um, how do I put it? Very tightly wound Cisco at this point still. He's, he's, mm-hmm. he's, a, he's mm-hmm. a little uptight, more uptight than he will be. Uh, but uh, so I thought that was interesting. Uh, Vash wants to store her treasures in the, in an assay office. I love that we finally get to see the assay office because we hear yeah. about it periodically, but we don't get to see it. What I like less is that it's basically a bunch of storage lockers, and they're not really doing a lot of assaying in there. Right. In fact, the assayer is remarkably uninterested and flippant about the stuff that Vash is storing. He's not assiduously assaying this stuff to find out its value what what is an assay office what's an assayer do it well assaying is is it can be used different ways it's like testing stuff uh so you can do chemical assays to find out what something is made of i've always understood since this is a trading post that it's trading Mm -hmm. assaying where you like establishing the value of stuff and and for purposes like an appraiser right okay to, to figure out for trade relations, you know, what's the assayed value of this thing? They're apparently treating it in this episode basically like safe deposit boxes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Really, really high-tech safe deposit boxes. <laughs> right. Uh, one of her treasures is apparently a glowing orb, but not an orb of the profits. That's not at all a thing yet here. The, the effect is a little close, though. I mean, it's like, yes. oh, that's some kind of Bajoran orb-looking thing. Right. She also has to, in order to secure the thing, she has to enter an access code by typing it in and give a retina scan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's still, it's primitive for us. <laughs> Five-digit access code, by the way. <laughs> I thought that was a, yeah, a nice, nice throwback there. Um, Cisco is trying to talk Vash into staying. I, I know. Today, it's like our iPhones have better security than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so Cisco is try- uh, meets up with Vosh, tries to talk her to staying and talk about her travels. And uh, the Daystrom Institute wants her to re- to hear from her, but she's essentially Lara Croft Tomb Raider. Mm-hmm. Like she- she's like, yeah. oh, I-, I I steal from tombs. I don't, you know, I'm not a teacher. I-, I like how the Daystrom Institute. So they want her to come back to Earth to talk to the Daystrom Institute, and she's open to doing that. But this is deep space nine, so. How does Cisco know the Daystrom Institute wants to talk to her back on Earth if it would take so long to get a message there? Well, it so happens if you check the promenade directory that we're never meant to see up close on screen, but that has been screen capped by fans and it has its own page on Memory Alpha, among other things like Tom Servo's used robots and and the Bonsai Institute. Uh Nice. There is also an entry on the promenade for the Daystrom Institute. So they apparently have a little office on Deep Space Nine, and presumably someone there said, hey, the folks back on Earth are going to be interested in talking to her. Can you talk to her for us, Commander Sisko? I I suppose it makes sense. You've got this stable wormhole. That would be very interesting to scientists uh, at the Daystrom Institute, so they'd probably send someone to go study it. I could see that. Well, and and we know they have an archaeological 
branch because she got kicked out of it. So <laughs> That's true. That's it'd be true. clear, you know, again, anything that would be coming out of the the, Delta, the Gamma Quadrant, they uh, they would want to check out and right. get their That's, paws on true. it. That's true. So anyway, she agrees to go and that uh, that the captain will, uh, I'm sorry, Commander Cisco uh, will arrange for her transport. Meanwhile, like O'Brien on in ops uh, is talking about uh, something has has drained the runabout's power dry. That was the problem with it. And then he tells Cisco about Vash's visits to the Enterprise. And Cisco, Cisco, I like that Cisco says she doesn't seem like Picard's type, which I'm not sure how. Cisco, how would you know? Yeah, yeah. And O'Brien says the <laughs> captain likes a good challenge, which tells me more about Captain Picard than perhaps I want to know at this point. But uh, <laughs> so, uh, meanwhile, he's not the only one. <laughs> I mean, because yeah. we're about to see in a scene or so. Right. Well, yeah. that's right. We get this scene of uh, Vash in her guest quarters, and uh, we, we're told in the behind-the-scenes material that they're, they tried to write this scene with as many people coming and going as possible. They really wanted to turn this into a centerpiece scene here. So Comedy kind of thing. Yeah. Right, right. So Q shows up, and he's she's trying to unpack, and he keeps like blinking and making all the things go back into her bag. Uh, and they discuss whether she left him or he left her. Uh, she calls him arrogant, overbearing, and a know-it-all. He says, well, I do know-it-all. She goes, that makes it worse, which is, which is a, a funny <laughs> he, little He line. also, so his motive in this scene is he really wants her to be his companion and go traveling again. And he's, and because he's apparently gotten a thrill by having a human companion he can show the universe to. And he is mm-hmm. so pushy and arrogant and obnoxious and he wants a traveling companion to go see time and space. Who does this sound like? I mean, <laughs> yeah, who exactly. Does this sound like he is? Yes. Q is like a really obnoxious, frightening Doctor Who. Right. Yes, he which, is. <laughs> which, by the way, John Delancey for number fourteen. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. No, it would be Doctor. like that horrible American remake of Inspector Space Time. That was awful. <laughs> So, uh, so Quark shows up, and after being uh, vanished away by Q, he's brought back, and Q leaves. So Quark's I, there. I, 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 yep. I do love the line when he vanishes. Quark, Q says to to Vash, "What business could you possibly have with that disgusting little troll?" It's like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> good line. <laughs> <laughs> so Quark is there because he wants to arrange an auction for her treasures, which he's had a little birdie tell him that she's put in the assay office. Um. And she has to use her feminine wiles to get him to give her a better cut of the profits, uh, which is always creepy when yeah, they do the Umox creepy. thing. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Uh, then uh, then Bashir shows up to invite her to dinner, and uh, and then she ends up having to tell Q, I can take care of myself, which is a, a, a key to the plot here, because it's going to turn out that uh, she he's there because she can't take care of herself. Something, something is going to go wrong. It's not his fault. At the replimat, uh, Q poses as an impor- impertinent Bajoran waiter to uh, Bashir and warns him to stay away from Vash. Uh, why do they have waiters in a replimat? The whole point is you go up to the thing and you get your food yourself. <laughs> I know. It's very weird. Uh, and then uh, he makes Bashir sleepy and sends him to go sleep off the rest of the episode uh, because yep. the writers have realized that Bashir is just being creepy all the time. Uh, yep. O'Brien, Maybe. meanwhile, recognizes Q and goes to tell Cisco. And apparently Starfleet has briefed all senior officers on the existence of the Q creature. As you do. As you do. Uh, Bashir, not Bashir, Cisco and, and O'Brien are convinced that the power outages 
are being caused by Q because the power outages have now started in the station. Well, it, it, uh, yeah, which which is logical. I mean, they weren't happening until he shows up, and all of a sudden they're happening. Gee, he right. might have something to do with it. Post hoc ergo propter hoc. I know. <laughs> so uh, Cisco goes to confront Vosh uh, at Quarks, and Q shows up and tells him to tell me, Commander. Is Starfleet penalizing you, or did you actually request such a dismal command? Oh, what a burn. <laughs> yes. And uh, Q denies being responsible for the power outages. Which is something that Q often gets blamed for things that he is actually not responsible for. This is a recurring trope. Yes, yep. yes. And uh, when when Q, uh, when Cisco demands to you know talk with Q alone, Q makes everyone disappear. Be careful! Mm-hmm. It's like a he's like a bad genie. Be careful how you phrase things with you. Yeah, uh, and it wasn't just in the bar; it was the entire yeah. station gone. So which Cisco nobody grabs, ever says where they go. No one ever says where they go. They're into like suspension. They're, they're put into the future, apparently. Yeah. Uh, C- Cisco grabs him by the lapels. So Q brings everyone back and sets up an old time bare knuckles boxing match uh, where Cisco of lays them out. Queensberry rules, which is the only <laughs> phrase everybody, no one knows what the Marquis of Queensberry rules are unless you're a boxing fan, but everybody knows the phrase. So yes. yeah. got to trot that out. So uh, he punches uh, Cisco a couple times. And so Cisco lays them out <laughs> with a, with a punch and says, you hit me. Picard never hit me. And then we get the best <laughs> line of the episode. I'm not Picard. Yeah, (laughs) and apparently the the again the writers were trying to set apart Cisco's character from Picard. Picard's an explorer, a diplomat, an intellectual. Cisco is hard nosed, more hands on. Literally in this case, at least Avery Brooks could pull off of his role as Hawk for that scene. You know, because he got plenty of punches too. So yeah, Avery Brooks is much more physical uh, sort of guy. So that that works there. I I like the distancing that they're doing here. I mean, it's very obvious that what they're trying to do is set him apart from Picard, but I actually, I think that works and the way they did it works um, Mm -hmm. because he is a different character than Picard and Picard was so beloved at this point that you need to set him apart and say to the fans, don't think of him as if he's Picard because he's not, do not judge everything that he does in terms of what would Picard do in this situation. And this is, I thought, a very effective way of just saying that to the fans. It's like, I'm not him, so don't expect me to be him. Well, right. that's it, especially important because, of course, what what's the first thing we hear from uh, Cisco and the, the pilot, which, again, was only five weeks before this, that he hates Picard, that he had right. an animosity against Picard. And so you create your new lead character hating your favorite lead character from the previous <laughs> series. Right, right. So you got to have that separation. Yes, yes. I mean, at this point, he's only the third Starfleet captain we've had, you know, for mm-hmm. a, for a series. So uh, back in ops, uh, something goes wrong. They start venting atmosphere because of hull fractures, and so the big fans are running on the on the set, <laughs> blowing everything yeah. away. Uh, Cisco, so it, and, and it and it's apparently connected to the power failures. They've noticed yes. that whenever they have a brownout, there's also a focused graviton pulse. That occurs, yes. and it's the gravitons that cause the hull fractures. And Cisco has an insight here. He's not convinced Q is behind all of this, which is, you know, it, it's, it's a good insight uh, because it's true. Uh, so uh, Odo, meanwhile, we get Odo, we get to see Odo in this one. He confronts Quark about his upcoming auction, and they get into a discussion of the pursuit of things. Yeah, and Odo's makeup looks really bad. 
yeah, this episode. Yeah. I mean, he looks very old. This is not the makeup they in, they ended up going with later on, which is good because this is terrible makeup for Odo. Yeah. Yeah. But Quark does start trying to intrigue him about material possessions and and he actually comes up with one that does momentarily <laughs> yeah. intrigue Odo, a latinum plated bucket to sleep in. <laughs> he, for a minute, for a minute he thinks about yeah. it. But. Well that that makes that makes sense though, because everything else he mentions, Odo could just make it appear like he has one. Right. You know, a suit. Well, he could just put on a new suit. He could just change yeah. himself to look like a new suit, a ring. But the bucket, he can't do yeah. that. <laughs> but he says, yeah, yeah, I don't want anything more than my work. His work is enough. Uh, so uh, Q uh, ends up conv- uh, warning Vosh that she needs him. And oh. as she's walking across her promenade, reminding her of an insect bite that, she, that almost killed her. And he progressively makes her more infirm and diseased like she would have been without him. Um, and this is very dark. This is it's incredibly yeah. dark. I mean, I have in my notes. Q insect bite tortures Vosh to compel yeah. her into friendship. It's like yeah. worst Doctor Who companion invitation ever. <laughs> well, I mean, it's essentially an abusive relationship here. I mean, that's that's yeah. what this is. I mean, this is he's trying to control her. It's it's kind of creepy. Uh, Q shows up in ops. Uh, he says uh, Picard and his lackeys would have solved all this techno babble already. <laughs> which, was, yeah. which was a nice plus, plus one for putting techno babble in the plot. <laughs> yeah, yes, they actually use the word. He calls O'Brien one of the little people from the Enterprise. I know that's great. <laughs> Weren't you one of the little people? <laughs> and then he calls Cisco Benji, which which is oh man, uh, that one's a little over the line for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then uh, in Quarks, Vosh tells Quark that she's she's going legit. She's retiring from. He wants to have a partner, permanent partnership. She's like, no, I'm done doing the running around, you know, tomb robbing. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to take my cash and run from this one. Uh, and then the station suddenly starts getting pulled toward the r- wormhole. Here we have set up our climactic uh, danger moment here, because if it enters the wormhole, they'll be torn into a billion pieces at the auction with the the uh, rich but dim. Oh, by the way, they're trying to figure out where the source of the problem is. Yes. And and th- to do that. Dax proposes that they release some tritium into the air and like follow it, and somehow that'll reveal the source of the power drain. I, I don't get that at all. Tritium is hydrogen three, so right. it's hydrogen with a couple of neutrons stuck in there. But somehow this is going to let them determine the source of the problem if they ramp up the tritium concentration high enough. And O'Brien is like, "Isn't tritium highly toxic?" And it's like, no, it's hydrogen three. I mean, if you if you take heavy, heavy water and you drink enough of it, yes, you can poison yourself. But it, having little bits of it floating around in the air, no prob. <laughs> right, right. So uh, if you want so- an imaginary, magical, dangerous substance, make up a new name for it. Yes. Which, which eventually they do. <laughs> which Star Trek always does. So it is weird that they picked this one. Um, Maybe they didn't know that tritium is a real thing. <laughs> That's possible. Uh, like dilithium. Uh, so at the uh, at the auction, uh, Vash and, and Quark have a bunch of, um, as Quark had put it, uh, rich but not very bright uh, uh, people bidding on their things. Uh, Vash starts to bore the bidders with a lecture on the context, the historical context of each of the items. And Quark's like, no, no, no. 
and he just sells the uh, the objects in terms the buyers can understand. No one else has one. You want this? <laughs> yeah, it's rare. It's exotic. You you don't you don't have one. No one else does. I I thought that was interesting. Actually, I mean, of course, for me, the Vosh pitch would be the one to actually get me interested in it. Yeah. Sure. But I, I wanted to comment on the auction patrons or the auction mm-hmm. attendees mm-hmm. because they're really colorful. They come from different species. One of them, a guy named Kalos, has this really cool coat. I mean, his coat, it's like awesome. It's got these colorful designs on it. He's got a really cool coat and a really f- disturbing mouth. We get this, <laughs> yeah. we get this like up looking up at his head and it, wow, is his mouth frightening. Yes. And disturbing looking. He also has six fingers, which comes up at one point as Quark is driving up the uh, the price of something. Can he get 500 bars of gold press latinum, 600 bars of gold press latinum? And Collis just raises his hand with all six fingers sticking up. <laughs> and, it, and, and they don't do anything beyond that. They just let us see the hand with six fingers. And it's like, okay, that makes perfect sense. Yes. There's also this parrotfish man who's got a head like he's a parrotfish. And mm-hmm. my favorites are the headscarf people. They're these people with like, they've got little, it, it's hard to describe, but they have like a flat plate of some kind on the top of their head. And then their whole head is wrapped in a scarf with no eye holes. So you just see the scarf go up and then it's got this flat top. And we don't know anything about these people, but one of them wins a bid at some point, and Quark says, sold to rule the obscure. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. The the obscure is is good, because their faces are covered. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, Q, uh, meanwhile, shows up during the bidding and is amused, and, you know, the the bidding reaches absurd levels for the orb. The orb is the the centerpiece of the auction, and, you know, it's like 2,500 bars of gold-pressed latinum, and Quark is, is about to have fits at so much money. And then Q says, uh, I bid a million <laughs> bars uh, because none of you are going to be able to, you're all going to die before you can have your purchased objects off the station anyway. Yeah. Now, this is something that's interesting. While they're dealing with the situation up in ops, and we keep intercutting between ops trying to find the source of the problem and the auction, which is, of course, where it's going to turn out that the source of the problem is. So we keep bouncing right. back and forth between these two things. And as they're grappling with the fact we're all doomed up on the, uh, up on, up in ops, they're letting everything else on the station go on normally. They are not evacuating. They are not telling people to get to their ships and leave the docking ring. They're just <laughs> right. it's like we're being sucked towards the wormhole and we're going to be shattered into a million pieces. But should we tell the people on the station it's time to flee? Nah. <laughs> so we have this bizarre thing happening where this auction is proceeding and nobody is Q even shows up and says, you're all doomed. And that doesn't stop the auction. Quark just offers people (laughs) free beer or something, and they keep going (laughs) with the auction after the man has materialized and said, we're all doomed. Well, they are rich but dim. so Apparently so. (laughs) So uh, when they get to the uh, auctioning off the glowing egg thingy, uh, that's when Cisco and Dax show up and... uh, They've realized this is the, the, the thing, and they, he beams it into space with his communicator. Yeah, so also, they, to, to avoid the wormhole, we have to put the station's thrusters on full power. And Cisco gets to deliver the cliche line, it's a chance we've got to take. 
direct <laughs> quote. You know, it's <laughs> like not even a variant, just it's a chance we've got to take. And so yes. they take the chance and put the station's engines on full power and it helps a little bit. But then they find the, the glowing egg thingy and they beam it 500 meters off the docking bay. <laughs> right. Like that's the limitation of your transporters, really? 500. If this thing is a bomb that has station destroying <laughs> energy potential, you're going to beam it 500 meters away. That's 1,500 feet. Really? Yeah. Right. But they do, and it goes boom, and we get a glowing space manta ray that flies out of it. Yes. Well, it's a good thing that didn't appear in, in the middle of course. That would have been a bad thing. Better than the moon turning out to be an egg, so sure. Ugh. Yeah. Moon dragon egg. Ugh. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, after all this is uh, uh, settled out and Cork uh, is sad at not getting his hundreds of bars of gold press latinum, uh, he does try to interest Vosh into some more t- shady uh, tomb robbing. And Q shows up and uh, he says, well, oh, why are you going to uh, Earth? It's, it's so boring. A thousand years ago it had character. Crusades, Spanish Inquisition, Watergate. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> now it's just mind-numbingly dull. Yes. Uh, so he says, uh, he does admit that seeing uh, the universe through Vash's eyes, he was able to experience wonder for the first time. And so, uh, but but he lets he, he lets her go. And she's going to presumably go off and do her thing, tomb robbing at some new dig that they've, that uh, Quark told her about. Tartarus 5. Yes. Uh, and then this is where uh, Bashir shows up at the end, having slept through everything. Uh, and there's this weird counterpoint where Dax is sitting there in Quarks watching all these things happen silently. And like, even mm-hmm. like, she doesn't even, like Quark, like, I mean, uh, Bashir says to her, oh, what's going on? Anything happened? And she just kind of looks at him enigmatically and walks away. And I thought it was kind of an odd choice. It was kind of an odd ending, yeah. It, yeah. it was an odd choice. I I thought, and Julian is like, I feel like I've been asleep for days. And th- that's the joke you have. You missed yeah. all this, the main plot this episode. And I thought it, it, it was an odd choice. I kind of I liked it, though. I, I, I thought if they'd added some dialogue for Dax, like, you have no idea, would be the best thing that she could have right. said. But almost any dialogue they add would detract from the joke. I kind of like leaving the joke just hanging there. Right, right. Um, in the end, some of the writers felt they'd missed on this episode. I, I think we agree. You, you <laughs> <Yeah>. think? <laughs> they, they liked Q, but it was, but it was too much Q in this episode, and not enough of our regular characters who, who there was no emotional impact for them because, and we hardly, we didn't hardly had known them by this point yet, and so, and they're all in the sort of in the background. Q is such a big personality; it just takes over the whole thing. I don't know why the writers of Star Trek like Q. I mean, I have nothing against John DeLancey, but of the next-gen episodes, the the ones where there I can think of two good Q—well, maybe three. The first is where he's where he show, does It's a Wonderful Life with Picard. Right. That's, mm. I think, the best use of Q. The second best mm-hmm. use of Q is where he loses his powers. Yeah, and yep. then the third best use of Q, which is not, is is one where he plays a purely functional role, where he transports them into the Beta Quadrant so they can meet the Borg for the first time, and Picard has yep. to beg to get back home. That's but Q plays very. It's really the Borg that are the center of that episode. 
all the other times Q shows up in next gen, it's like, oh, please, this adds, this subtracts rather than adds to the episode. Right, right. Yeah. At least for me. I think, I think if they, they like him because having an omnipotent Loki type character, a, 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 a um, I'd the, rather the have God Loki. You just <laughs> have Loki show up. Right. Well, but but having a character like this who's sort of uh, uh unpredictable, a chaotic figure, I think they I think writers like that. They who's all powerful, who can do anything mm -hmm. and therefore it means that they can do anything they want with it. And it, I think they really enjoy that. Um but you're right. It 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 can become overdone. I think there's also the comic relief aspect of it too though. They they see that oh this is this is a humorous episode. This is, you know, this isn't one of the more, or more serious, you know, plot moving episodes. This is just humorous. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's kind of how he got, definitely got used in uh, Voyager. Right. You know, you know, or the whole uh, comic relief Q Civil War and all that stuff that they had, which was and hitting on Janeway all the time and all that stuff. It just was more the 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 humorous side of it than it was anything real serious. At least based on my memory, there was one good Q episode in Voyager, and that was the Death Wish one. Yes. Right. I'll agree with that. Yeah. It, it, yeah. And I think John Delancey is, is a good actor, and I think he pulls it off, you know, with, with what he's given. I, I like that that sort of when he's given this role. Um, but uh, I, I, I agree. They like giving him the snappy dialogue. The I mean, Iris Stephen Bear loves that sort of. Uh, quippy dialogue it's, very, it's mm -hmm. obvious in his episodes so he, he they like doing that with him too i think that's part of it john delancey said in this episode he felt like q was out of character like he was acting like a lovesick puppy you know mm -hmm. he's, that he's best when dealing with large philosophical issues like death wish was and like with uh picard's uh you know it's a wonderful life episode that sort of stuff they he those were the best episodes for q not this sort of thing yeah, and as a, and another one that would fit that is the the Cupid made Marion Robin Hood thing. It's like that's right. just that's misusing Q. If you have if you have someone with fantastically superhuman powers, that's the issue right. that's on the table. Not like oh, let's use his fantastically superhuman powers to make a holodeck episode without the holodeck. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Um, now. Let me quickly. What did he ever show up in Enterprise? No, no, no. They never use him. In, okay, I was just I, I I didn't think so, but I was trying to make sure, remember it with this. So the, it, he's only ever in TNG, DS Nine, and Voyager. Uh, there was, he there never, was a recent interview where he was asked, you know, would he come back to like to Picard? Hmm. And of course, you know, of course, first thing he says is, you know, I'm old now. I wouldn't, you know, Q's not going to. But then, of course, Q could, you know, pretend say, to be. Well, old. he showed up old. To mock Picard because Picard right. got old, you yes, know. But I could see that. Uh, I mean, Brent Spiner said the same thing, and they yep. they found a way. So Q does never show, like we said, never shows up again in DS Nine. But he like he's in Voyager a lot. Uh, Vosh never shows up in any Trek again. So she's she's this is her last appearance in any Trek. So, uh, but so that's that's it. I mean, any final thoughts from either of you on this episode? Any last mm, bits to say on nothing it? here? Nothing here. Okay. All right. So. Uh, uh, my, I, I like, I kind of like you. Uh, there, there are episodes I really don't like him in. Uh, I thought Farpoint was a little weird. I, I didn't really like oh. him in that one. But, um, we but just, we just hate Farpoint in general. I mean, <laughs> Q or right. not, we just didn't like Farpoint. Period. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I kind of like, I, I like the quippy 
thing, the dialogue mm-hmm. and, and, the, and I, the humor. I, I, and I'll give Q that. Sometimes they do write nice dialogue for him. I mean, I like the yeah. disgusting little troll line in this episode. <laughs> yes. There's also yeah. a, a nice burn that he has for Worf. Eat any good books lately? In, <laughs> you know, in another episode. So yeah. Yeah, he does sometimes. I don't hate Q. It's just yeah. on ba- And sometimes they do good stuff with him. But on balance, I find I, I'm less inclined to rewatch episodes that have him than that don't have him. Yeah. Right. They tend to misuse Q. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I think that should wrap it up for this one. That's I think that's enough uh that, that we've done justice to this episode. So uh we we do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Dennis, Fonseca, Mary, Jeffrey, and Richard. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What do you think of QLess, uh, this episode of Deep Space Nine, or Q in general? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, or on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Voyager episode, Emanations. Until then, Jimmy Yakin, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thanks, Dom, and live long and prosper. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I am Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, bid high and bid often. <laughs>